This afternoon, we confess together the Belgic Confession, Article 3, about the Holy Scripture. Let's confess together. We confess that this Word of God has neither been sent or delivered by any human will, but that holy men of God, having been filled up by the Spirit, have spoken it forth as blessed Peter witnesses. Afterwards, however, God himself, according to that great care and concern that he bears for his own people and their salvation, commanded his servants, the apostles and prophets, to commit his oracles to writings, to the point that he himself scratched out the two tablets of the law with his own finger, which is the reason why we call writings of this holy sort holy and divine writings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word preached, help us to be cognizant of the fact that it is your word, that you have spoken in times past, and that you have commanded certain people to record that word, and now we have a deposit of your will and even the mind of God. Help us to be grateful for the scripture, to guard it in our hearts, and to also in the sermon hear the law and the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The scripture lesson comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 8. And you can find that on page 996 of your pew Bibles. Once again, you can find the scripture reading on page 996. We hear God's word from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 8. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Yanis and Ambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Anconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, But as for you, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. To review, we've done Article 1 of the Belgic Confession, which is on the nature of God. We examined his attributes. Article 2, we confess that the scriptures teach that there are two forms of revelation. There's general revelation in the creation in which we know God generally. And that's why it's called general revelation. And uh, the second type of revelation, which is special, we find that revelation of God in the Holy Scriptures. Now through Article 7, we confess the nature, the authority, and perfection of the Scriptures. So we focus on the next several articles on the Holy Scriptures. But in this article in particular, we confess the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures and what it means to have God's Word written down for us. So the issue is, God has spoken. He has spoken in times past to the fathers and the prophets, as the author of Hebrews says, as he opens his letter. You're well acquainted with that letter. Uh, God has spoken, and God has also instructed uh, certain people to write down his word. Now we have the word of God uh, canonized before us. Uh, His word that was spoken, now written down for us, that reveals the mind of God. In particular, it speaks of Jesus Christ and the law and the gospel. Uh, So first in our sermon, we'll understand the need for the Holy Scriptures. We're not always so certain why we need the Scriptures. Second, the history of God's spoken word and its written form. And finally, we'll understand the written word today. How do we think about the written word? Well, first, the need for the Holy Scriptures. Let's examine the context of Paul's words here in 2 Timothy chapters 3 and following. Notice that Paul is talking about the problem we have in the last days. As you know, there's a lot of talk among some uh, that the last days is just a certain distinct period of time uh, just before Jesus comes. However, the scriptures are very clear that the time between Christ's ascension into heaven and a second return constitute the last days. So we're in the last days right now. Notice Paul says that these days are characterized by great godlessness and deception. 
godlessness and deception are the problems in the last days. So, in this section, Paul warns Timothy, a pastor, that people will become bolder in their sin. And this cannot even happen within the church. In fact, the real danger within churches is the deception of wrong doctrine, and even pastors. So that's why you have to keep your pastor always accountable to the Word of God using the confessions of your church. So godlessness and deception. Uh, Furthermore, there will be those within the church who um, love false doctrine. Some will even deny sound teaching and gather around themselves those who teach the wrong things. In essence, people will and do deny sound teaching and preaching from the scriptures. And so that's a problem in Paul's day. Certainly it's a problem in our own day. Again, the modern age is a part of the latter days, the last days. So notice today, many people in churches are steeped in false doctrine. Now, it's not always so clear to them that that's the case, and that's the problem with deception. People who are deceived believe they are right. People that are deceived are wrong, but they believe that they're right. Now, you probably heard that the Mormon prophet has just died, and another one has recently taken his place. Well, the Mormons believe that this man is the recipient of continuing revelation. Allegedly, God still reveals certain truths to him, which he then relates to the church. Therefore, notice that the Mormon church has different types of revelation. They have uh, the Bible, they hold to be true. They have the Book of Mormon, they have other writings. Um, And some guy, uh, supposedly, to whom God speaks and tells them, well, you have this doctrine, that's no good now. Now you need to move on to other things. Well, there are all sorts of examples in Protestant and even Catholic churches where there is wrong thinking uh, along these lines. Uh, some, uh, some people today believe that God speaks to them. There's one uh, person who's very popular among evangelicals that's written several books, and one in which he says that God has spoken to him audibly. He's walking along the beach one day, uh, looking at a rock, and he says, wow, what a great rock. And God supposedly said, thanks, I made it. So God spoke to this man audibly and said, I don't know, that's just a very strange thing I think that God would say to some guy walking along the beach. But the amazing thing is, brothers and sisters, there's been little reaction from the churches. In fact, I know of no reaction where somebody said, that's not right. Well, more commonly, people believe that God gives them impressions and thoughts. And this is rife. Well, God led me. Well, what do you mean He led me? Well, He impressed me. Well, what do you mean He impressed me? It was some way He told me that I need to do this or that. So I know that and understand the will of God somehow by these secret impressions and feelings. God has led me. And then, of course, people believe that God gives them signs on walls and grilled cheese sandwiches. No, I'm not kidding. There are... There are instances where people have said they saw, you know, the Virgin Mary or Jesus or whatever in a grilled cheese sandwich or on a wall or on, I mean, there's one instance where there's a wall of a bathroom stall. These are all taken very seriously and people say that God has revealed himself in some way through these strange impressions. Well, this is insanity. The church needs to stand up and say the word of God does not allow 
this view. We confess as a church that the Bible is very clear that he has ceased to speak. He has spoken here in these scriptures. Continuing revelation has stopped. This one of the first sermons we heard in Hebrews proves this. God spoke to the fathers and prophets in past times, but in these latter days, notice the language, these latter days, He's spoken to us through His Son. And the Scriptures are very clear that the Scriptures are all about the Son. All this continuing revelation and the miracles, the times that God spoke in the past, had a purpose pointing to Christ. When Christ, the revelation of God, the very image of God came, there's no need for continuing revelation. That's why God told people, He spoke to them audibly, you write my words down in this book. And after that, that's it. Then you have the the, the nature of faith changes, doesn't it? Now you have preaching, in which some guy, who doesn't look very special at all, stands up there and preaches the word of God, but you have faith to say, I believe God has appointed that man, has appointed this church, and through him, in a special ordained worship of God, God speaks to me. God speaks to you through this word as it is preached. Now we don't know all of the details of wrong thinking and believing in Paul's day. But we do know that Paul says to Timothy in the context of the love of false teaching, the Holy Scriptures are necessary and sufficient for salvation. The Scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Timothy must preach this word always in this context, into this context. This word is preached for salvation, which means people hear about their sin through the law and about salvation in Christ alone through the Holy Gospel. The scripture then is the very word of God written down for salvation. You think of that. Yes, you have a duty to come to church every single Lord's Day, but think of what's happening. God's will is found in this text in the Word of God, and He tells you about your sin, about the Gospel. We talk about the third use of the law, how to live to God. I mean, what a marvelous opportunity. You hear the mind of God. And so the Scriptures, we say, are authoritative. They must be heard alone, aside from the silly myths for salvation. And this is why God has spoken and why He has instructed His prophets and apostles to write it down for the churches and ages past. Now, much of the Bible is the history of God speaking. Think of that. Yahweh is not a static God encased in the invisible heavens, far away from His people with no contact. No. He has spoken to His people, but He does so through ordained servants. So notice the history of this. God first spoke to Adam and Eve. Kids, who do we say Adam and Eve are? Our first parents. God spoke to them. He instructed them, he gave them the law, and told them how to live. When they sinned, God spoke the law to them, uh, convicting them of their sin and giving them the death sentence. Yet in his mercy, he also preached the gospel to them, promising them life through Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. So, from the very get-go, God doesn't leave his creation alone, doesn't speak to them, he speaks to them. He came down from the heavens, as it were, and spoke to his own people. They spoke to them the law and the gospel. God spoke to the patriarchs. Kids, who are the patriarchs? You know this like the back of your hand. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are the patriarchs, the fathers. He made promises to Abraham and to his descendants, including Isaac and Jacob. He continued this revelation uh, to Isaac and Jacob, promising and guiding them to the foundations of Israel. So God spoke to the prophets of Israel, including priests and kings. God's revelation here, too, is filled with law for sin and gospel for the forgiveness of sins. God also guided His people Israel through these prophets, priests, and kings, never leaving His people alone, always speaking to them and guiding them. And finally, God spoke uh, to the New Testament prophets and apostles. And this is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that the New Testament expression of the church has been built upon the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. Not literally on these guys is the church built, and that's why we deny the Pope as the vicar of Christ. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, and he has built his church upon the revelation of God in Christ, the gospel, not men. Throughout this history of the Old Testament and the New Testament, God instructed his prophets and apostles to write the words of God down so that there would be no mistake about the will of God. And again, what is the problem with people saying, I saw Jesus on a grilled cheese sandwich, or I had this impression, or people will manipulate you and say, you know what, God told me that you need to do X, Y, and Z. It happens all the time. Brother or sister, let me tell you what God laid on my heart and how He impressed me to, to, to lead you. Well, all you need to say is that God didn't speak to you and He's not telling you anything about me. Now listen, if you want to give me godly advice from the Scriptures, that's great. If you want, me to, if you want to help me understand how to discern the will of God from the Scriptures in terms of what it says, actually says, fine. But I'm not going to listen to, to somebody tell me what to do because God supposedly impressed upon them what I should do. And again, why are we so scared to say that to people? Because it sounds so so unpious and so ungodly. Well, surely, I mean, they, they must be so... They are so godly and they're so nice and I know they're, they have my best uh, will in mind, so they're, they're trying to help me and that may be very true. But God has spoken decisively and definitively in His Word. Does He move today in providence? Absolutely. Does He move in people's lives? Absolutely. Does He arrange things in people's lives so that, that it happens every day? Of course. We're very clear about a doctrine of providence. But specifically, the will of God has been encased here in the Scriptures. And it focuses on Christ alone. And brothers and sisters, if we can get this straight, we'll be a lot happier. When all these crazy things happen and people say, there's God moving. God moves every Sunday morning through the preaching of His Word and through the participation in the sacraments. So, God has spoken in history, very plainly. I mean, we could take up much more time saying what the scriptures say about God actually speaking. But, He has instructed certain people to write His words down. To Moses, Yahweh said, Write this for a memorial in a book. Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. And of course, the prophets of Israel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Habakkuk, were under orders to write down the very words of God. The risen Christ says to John, What you see, 
write in a book, send it to the seven churches. Revelation chapter 1 verse 11. So very clearly God said, write these words down. Therefore, God spoke to his people, he instructed these same people to write his down, his word down for future generations, and that includes the church today. So what we confess is that God's word, God's written word, is authoritative. And again, this is what we say to our friends who are a little confused about uh, God impressing them or whatever. No, God is the authority through his word. In other words, we're saying God's word is authoritative, not you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Peter agrees that Paul's writings, which we just heard in 1 Corinthians 14, his writings are scripture. Listen to this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So notice Peter saying that Paul's letters are the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. God's word is authoritative. Added to this, the scriptures are spoken of as if they were God. The scriptures are spoken of as if they were God himself. Example, Galatians 3.8 And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. You notice that. The scripture preached the gospel. Romans 9.17 For the scripture says to Pharaoh, the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. In other words, if scripture says, God says. Don't miss that. If the scripture says it, God has said it. So what we need to do is is understand what we mean by inspiration of the scriptures. And this is not just some dry, dusty doctrine that we read about in our big systematic theology text. It's very important to understand when the scripture says it, God has said it. I mean, think of it all the time. You're struggling with insecurity, wondering about how to think about your sin, Christ, um, how do you live for God in this world. There are many things that are treated in the scriptures, but we can't treat it like just an ordinary book. The old theologians talked about the perfection or the divinity of scriptures. The word of God is divine. It's the holy scripture. And that just increases your your view of the scriptures, doesn't it? And so we say God's word is inspired. What do we mean? One person says, inspiration is the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit on select individuals which render them the instruments of God for the infallible 
communication of his mind and will. God's mind and will is infallibly, that's without error, uh, communicated to you. And so, of course, this merely summarizes what the scriptures themselves say. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and, uh, through 21. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired these men to write the Scriptures. So 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We'll come to a few verses at the end that talk about how the Scriptures were without error, but they have to be. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed. You want to take your choice if you think some of it's wrong? Which part? I mean, people do this all the time. I mean, you know, I believe the, the Bible's the Word of God. I mean, at least most of it. Oh, really? So which parts are not the Word of God? Well, this or that part, because it's a little too... I mean, I don't think, you know... How could Jonah really be swallowed by a whale? Or uh, an axe head floating? Okay. So tell me why you think the stuff about Jesus is true. Well, I mean, there's no argument for that. This is silliness. It's all God's Word or none of it's God's Word. But the Scriptures themselves say, all Scripture is God-breathed. So inspiration is what we confess in our, our confessions. Very quickly, there are three views of inspiration. It's important to understand this. The first is called the mechanical or dictation theory. The second is called the dynamic inspiration theory. And the third is called the organic inspiration or confluent theory. And that's the theory we hold to. So the mechanical uh, theory basically says that, well, God dictated his words to certain people to write down stuff. So all of a sudden God takes a person over and they start writing down what God wants them to say. It's just like takes them over by his spirit and makes them write every single word down that he wants them to say. We reject this view. It does not account for the great variety of scripture and the, the passion uh, of, of, of the scriptures. It, it just doesn't make sense at all. It's unbiblical. <clears throat> the second view is called the dynamic inspiration or negative assistance theory. Essentially, this view holds that the writers of the scriptures were generally inspired not necessarily by the Holy Spirit to write. The authors write their own stuff. Now, of course, this view robs the supernatural nature of the scriptures and allows for errors. As one person says, strictly speaking, it eliminates the supernatural, transforms the idea of inspiration, and transfers it from the intellectual to the moral sphere. The writers in the New Testament, the Old Testament is not even taken into consideration, were holy men, who moved about in the presence of Jesus and lived in the sphere of revelation, which naturally had a sanctifying influence on their character, thought, and speech. I would say this is a dominant view in many uh, seminaries today, that uh, these were men, moral men, who were uh, inspired in the, the, the emotional sense to write down the stuff they knew about Jesus. We reject this view. 
The correct view is the organic view or the confluent theory. <clears throat> this says, this one person says, God acted upon the writers in an organic way, in harmony with the laws of their own inner being. He used them just as they were, with their character and temperament, their gifts and talents, their education and culture, their vocabulary, diction and style. He illuminated their minds, prompted them to write, repressed the influence of sin on their literary activity, and guided them in an organic way in the choice of their words and the expression of their thoughts. Clearly, this is the correct view that accords with the scriptures. Because every writer is different. Every style is different. Paul sometimes sounds like a hothead, especially in the book of Galatians. He's angry. It sounds like he's saying crazy things, but again, notice how this person says that, that sin is repressed when they're writing these words down. So it's fine for Paul to be angry, but God used his anger, righteous anger, we would say here, when he's mad at the Judaizers. Um, Daniel was specifically inspired to write very difficult apocalyptic literature. But notice, Daniel, Revelation, same sort of literature. It's not just prophetic literature, it's apocalyptic literature. And notice both of them are like, God, I don't think I understand what you're saying. Daniel especially. I mean, he gets sick. He's like, I don't don't understand these things. It's making me nervous, God. And God's like, you just write down what I tell you to write down. And he's saying that because it's apocalyptic. It's highly symbolic. But again, he uses the personality of these men to write this stuff down. Same with John. He sees all this stuff in heaven. All the stuff that will happen, some of the stuff that's happened in the past. He has to write it down. But God chose these people to write his word down in this specific way. Well, finally, first of all, we, we summarize by saying we believe all the scriptures are God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This should give you great confidence in the Word of God. But also, we wish to confirm or confess that the meaning of Scripture is clear, that uh, there's propositional meaning in the Scriptures. So many today, even conservative, traditional, confessing Christians, may affirm that the Bible is inspired, but they deny it in its practice. In other words, these folks say that the Bible is where they understand the will of God, but they simultaneously affirm what is supposed to be the objective will of God outside the scriptures. Hence, are examples about people you know, listening to impressions or voices or whatever, saying that's the word of God. Now, if you hold this view of the inspiration and the authority of the scriptures, you must say that God has uh, chosen at this point to reveal his will only in the Holy Scriptures. And so this leads us to confess that there is meaning in the text of Scripture. After all, God um, is a God who wishes to reveal something to you, not just impressions or moral feelings, but He wishes to reveal content to you. And so Scripture is made up of different types of literature, to be sure, but all are words or propositions, statements, which speak of real things. God, creation, man, Christ. And so all of this uh, will lead, we say, uh, to a perfect, perfect reception from the church. This leads us to confess a type of inspiration which we say is verbal and plenary. 
Again, you know, these are important terms to know. We say that the scriptures are inspired in the verbal and plenary sense. Verbal means every word of the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, plenary, we mean the whole Bible is the Word of God. So again, brothers and sisters, if that is true, and it is, we confess that the Scriptures are without error. There's no errors in the Scriptures. All of it is the Word of God. So in conclusion, if this is true, your view of the Scriptures needs to increase. You need to understand that this is the very Word of God. God spoke in times past. He told certain men to write those words down. It was written down and recorded for your salvation. As always, we focus on the fact that the focus of the Scriptures themselves is Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.